want to welcome you to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. We hope you'll be encouraged listening to God's teachings. Our services are held Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We share an awesome worship experience here at Renton Christian Center. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's our message. All right, I, most of you really know Dana very, very well, and I uh, just want to say a couple things uh, to introduce him. You know, he and I have been kind of like on parallel tracks, uh, not connecting a whole lot for all the many years that his family's been a part of our church family. We're both kind of in leadership positions. We're both into ministry. We're both into Jesus. But we, we really didn't get a chance to cross paths until just the last few months. And I, I just want to say personally, I have really enjoyed having a, a peer a fellow brother in the Lord who's had a lot of similar life experiences who's now becoming my friend. Because I know that you know it's hard to find best friends. It's hard to find good friends. And uh, when you do, I feel like God just kind of gives you maybe three to five of those in an entire lifetime. And, and I'm excited here. And this is just the beginning of, hey, we might be friends. This is very, very cool. All right, let's give a warm welcome for Dana Buck. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you are my friend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Morning, everybody. You know, I really like that beloved Dana Buck thing. So I will expect that every Wednesday night. Oh, look, it's the beloved Dana Buck. That'll replace the usual Your Majesty. So you guys know that. Sorry, guys, no Sunday school day. You got to hang around. Hey, my name is Dana, as Alex said, and yes, we are friends, and Alex has been, especially the past, we've been going here now 20 years, which is hard to believe, and I've um, always appreciated your leadership and what you do here, but your friendship of just hanging out at times when I've needed to hang out with somebody uh, has been precious, so it's been just really, really cool. Well... I get asked to do this every now and then, and I'm honored every time, and I think I probably, if I go back and listen to the tapes, I probably say the same thing every time <laughs> as a preamble to get up here, because I want to set your expectations appropriately. Um, the only thing I really have to offer you is what God is teaching me, um, what I'm walking through, what God is revealing to me in my life, and my prayer and my hope is that as I do that, and as I share some of that, that it resonates with you. Um, I don't think, you know, sometimes we feel like we're on an island. Sometimes we feel like we may be the only one that's going through something. And it's such a blessing to hear somebody else maybe say something that sounds similar or rings a bell with you and you're just like, oh man, I'm not alone. It's not, I'm not a failure, I'm not this, I'm not that. There's just a human condition that I'm being called to walk through. And sometimes it's comforting to be able to hear that uh, you have uh, some friends in that regard. So for me, I turned 58 years old two days ago. So yeah, okay, January 1st, and as my mother always said, that's why they have all those parades and football games, so <laughs> January 1st every year, so 58 years old, I became a Christian when I was 18, so it's 40 years of walking with the Lord now, I just kind of realized that actually standing in the back like, wow, this is the 40th year of being a Christian, highs, lows, ups, downs, but um, never a point where I ever, once I made that decision, that that was going to be my identity and that's going to be who I was, I never, ever turned my back on that. And, that, uh, you know, like I said, there's been failures and triumphs and everything in between in there, but it's the greatest 
most important decision that I've ever made and it's defined me for these 40 years that I've been um, walking since then. And so when you're walking in anything for 40 years, you know, um, it just becomes a part of you. And so, you know, yeah, I've been leadership positions here with these guys for, gosh, that's going on now. I don't even know how many years that is, 16 years? Wildfire, I've been in leadership positions before that in other churches. This is my 37th year at World Vision, believe it or not, going into year 37. Most of that time leading divisions and departments and uh, people and so forth. And so, and when you walk with the Lord that long, the, the scriptures and the truths and the experiences you have where you see God work and you see him live out who he is and your faith is not just based on something that you're trying very hard to believe, but you're seeing it play out. You're seeing it play out in the lives of people around you. You're seeing it play out in your own life as you walk and you see those truths of God become evident. And so um, all these years from age 18 up to now, I'm walking in that and I'm being confident in who I am in him and confident in what I know about him, confident in who he is in my life, confident in... Uh, what I am in him, or so I thought. God will never, ever let you sit. Our Christianity is a journey. It's a walk with him. And so, I'm just going to tell you guys just kind of a little bit of a story. I haven't figured it all out yet. Um, but day by day, God reveals his truth to me. So, you know, again, I'm 37 years of my job, my leadership in the church. I'm walking along in the truth whatever, and on September 30th of this past year, I find myself, well actually I don't even remember it, um, I find myself in the back of an ambulance heading to St. Francis Hospital. I had a nervous breakdown. That's what, I met with a counselor afterwards and he goes, yeah, we don't really use that phrase anymore, but remember, yeah, I've heard of that. <laughs> he goes, yeah, that's what you had. You had a nervous breakdown. Your ability to absorb stress, anxiety, pressure, which we all have in our lives, I don't care if you're 14 or you know, 64, you have that and you have the ability to be able to process that for a time and walk in that at a time. My counselor who I'm seeing now is a great guy, a great Christian guy, he talks about that as a rubber band. The rubber band stretches taut and then it kind of goes back in place. And every now and then, for some people, that rubber band breaks. Um, anybody see any scenes for that movie coming out called The Revenant? The one with... Uh, yeah, the one with, yeah, it's not out yet, but it's the one with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. It's the mountain man. Has anybody seen the scenes for that? It looks awesome. I can't wait till it comes out. But there's one scene in there that I went, whoa, when I saw the preview. And there's a scene, I don't know who it is, but somebody's riding a horse towards a cliff, and they ride it right off the cliff. It's in the preview, and down they go. And I remember watching that and going, that's how I felt that you're just going, 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 and when the usual breaks come on and the things happen for you, they weren't coming on, and you go right on over. So I was in St. Francis Hospital. I don't know if I had a stroke. I don't know if I had a heart attack. I don't know what happened to me. They ran all the tests and everything, and they said, physically, physiologically, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and so I began this journey on September 30th, of basically saying, Lord, what has happened to me? What have we done? And, um, or what have I done? And uh, I won't stand here to tell you that I have it all figured out yet, but I will tell you that God is revealing amazing truths to me 
day by day by day. And here's the thing I can tell you that's absolutely true. God will take you to a dark place because only then will you try to turn on the light. Don't you think about that? God will sometimes allow you to go to a dark place because then and only then will you seek the light. I feel like that's what I've been doing for the last several months. Lord, what are you teaching me through this? And what I really found is, I found a lot of things. I'll tell you what I found, a couple of things that I found. I found I absolutely adore and love my wife. She has been amazing through this time. And both of us have kind of, it's so funny, I've had so many people talk to me about that because they've seen the evidence of it. And they said, you know, you and Grace were always sort of this, these two pillars that stood next to each other, you know? And all of a sudden, one of those pillars went, you know, <laughs> kind of crashed into the other. Thank God that pillar was strong. And I feel like for Grace and I, it's not like this now. It's like this. And it's awesome. I just, I, I appreciate you so much and love you so much. And uh, after all the years we've been married, that's just been a wonderful discovery. That's just one of the things and the blessings that God has brought out of this. But what I really found was, we talk about our faith, and our faith is so important to who we are and how we walk with Christ in a way that is going to be triumphant and victorious and joyful and all those things. And um, I remember Kevin and I talking about this one time before, you know, we're here and our destination is there. This is, our, you know, that strong, honest, good relationship with Christ. And so as we head towards that point, down here where we are, if you get off a degree or two, it doesn't look like much down here as you begin to advance, does it? One degree, it's not much. The further you get out, and your destination's here, and the further you get away, and not bring it back to true north or whatever it is, true north kids, not bring it back to true north, the further out you get, the further you get from where you want to be. And those subtle one-degree changes are the things that bedevil us as Christians. And so what I found for me was my faith was in my ability to understand who I was as a Christian and who God was and my ability to apply it in my strength. And it became more about me and my ability than it was about God and who he said he was. Until I got to that point where me and my ability and my ability to apply it and understand it failed, as it almost assuredly would. One of the things I want to share, and I'm going to get into some scripture with you in a minute, is that we are in a battleground. My life, my being, I'm a battleground. And it's not very big. <laughs> it's from here to here. It's from what I know and the truth that I know about who God is and who I am in God. And it's the stinking feelings that belie that truth, that don't reflect the things that my mind and my intellect is telling me that I know are true about God. His faithfulness, that I'm an overcomer, that he wins in the end. I flipped to the end of the book. I've seen it. He wins in the end. We win in the end. Why is it then that I have this battlefield between what I know and what I feel? And why is it what I feel is not matching what I know. That's really what led to my breakdown. I was grasping at the wrong thing. I was grasping at my ability to understand it and feel it and apply it. 
and I was holding smoke. <laughs> because you know what? And I've said this to generations of youth. It's so funny, Alex and I were talking about this. I said, Alex, I've taught all this. I've taught on all this. And now it's all turned around. <laughs> but I've said to generations of youth, your relationship with Christ cannot be based on how you feel. Because our feelings are screwy. If the reality of who Christ is and the strength of our relationship with him is based on how I feel about it, I'm screwed. Okay? Maturity in Christ is when God takes you beyond your feelings. Judy asked us today, does anybody feel a little bit dry? That happens. And why? Because God has got to take us through a place where he says, my reality of who I am in you, the power that I have, my omnipotence in your life and your situations transcends your ability to understand it or feel it. Don't limit me by your feelings. And so he'll take us through a dry time. He'll take us through a, a, a confusing time. In fact, a lot of times I'll have you say that, man, I, I felt so good and my relationship with Christ was so good and so vibrant. And then, you know, now it just feels so dry and I worship and I don't feel anything. And invariably I'll say, you know, have you prayed recently to go deeper in your relationship with him? Yes, that's what's so frustrating. You know, I want to go deeper. And now, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's what he's doing. Because you've got to get over the hump of understanding who God is based on how you feel. And transcend that so that his promises are what they are. And that's the battleground. That's the battleground. My ability to feel it and my ability intellectually to understand it and proclaim truth and speak joy into a situation where there's no joy, right? And speak faith into a situation where all I feel is doubt and anxiety. You know, my counselor told me, he goes, you know, Dana, anxiety is nothing more than fear of the future. It robs you of the joy today to fear what is to come or may never come. What a thief. Sound familiar? We have an enemy that's a thief, don't we? Hey, you know, we don't have to chase the devil around the room either. This is our flesh, okay? You don't have to look for the devil under rocks or under your pillow or whatever. This is the enemy that we carry around with us all the time, that he uses against us, right? But we don't have to go looking for otherworldly whatevers. This is just the flesh. And you know what? Scripture talks a lot about it, and so I, I have wonderful, wonderful friends um, who have sent me so many, knowing my situation, sent me so many scriptures. And I'll tell you, I was in kind of a bad way those first few weeks. When this happens to you, I don't know if it's happened to anybody else, and don't raise your hand, but when it happens to you, you lose your trust in your ability to deal with anything. Everything freaks you out, because once you ride over that cliff, you're afraid you're going to do it again. I couldn't watch TV unless it was like the Waltons. <laughs> I mean, I'm not joking or Blue House on the Prairie. And even then when, you know, Buttercup or whatever her name is fell down on the field, I had to leave the room. <laughs> what was her name? Not Buttercup. What did he call her? What did Dad call her? What was it? Half Pint. Hey, Buttercup, where did I get that? <laughs> Half Pint. Grace and I would be watching the show and it would, be, it would get, and I'd go, I have to leave the room. I could not take the anxiety of a TV show. I was reading a book, I was reading uh, Hawaii by Jane, you know, it's so funny, I couldn't even read when this happened, and you guys that know me, 
you're in bad shape if you can't read. Jordan's nodding at me because he's in my library. I love to read. It's my favorite thing. I couldn't read. And uh, finally, my counselor just said, you know, you've got to just pick up a book and read it. So I went and got Hawaii by James Missioner, which is like 1,200 pages. <laughs> I did, and I just said, okay, doggone it, I'm reading. And I got to the part where they dropped the lepers off in Molokai, and I had to put the book down because I couldn't handle the fact that these lepers were getting thrown out of the beach in Molokai. That's how it was. And um, so I had friends. I was meeting with Pastor Alex and Kevin. I was meeting with a counselor and wonderful, wonderful friends from here at RCC and at work just sending me truth. It's in my family. My kids, awesome. Just sending me just Bible verses and truth. And you begin to rebuild and you begin to undergird, but recognize that you're not rebuilding your own capacity. You're recognizing the wreck that your capacity is and allowing God to rebuild that, which is a process that, by the way, never stops. It never stops. Um, and lest I feel too discouraged by that, like, why me? And, you know, God, I'm so good, and I try to do so many good things. Why me? Well, some of the greatest encouragement that I've taken on this little journey of mine is actually from the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to read to you, if you don't mind, and I'm going to be in Romans, and I'm going to start in chapter 7. You can turn with me, or I'll just read it to you. But if you want to know the, uh, the verses, I'm going to start at uh, chapter 7, verse 15, and I'm probably going to go through, gosh, like chapter 8, 15. So again, lest I feel alone, that lest I feel a failure, lest I feel discouraged, let's see what the guy who wrote most of the New Testament had to say. I'm going to start at verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. I do not want, oh, excuse me, and if I do, okay, I'm going to start one more time, sorry. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And what he was talking about was the law that was given by God was nothing more than showing us how absolutely far we were from the ability to be in our own power and our own effort in community with God, in relationship with God. The law didn't save anybody. The law condemned. Because the law said in and of ourselves. And the law, take that word out and just stick religion in there. Religion won't save you practices and habits and efforts and self-disciplines, whatever, won't save you. And that's what Paul's saying. I do the things I don't want to do. And because the law says I shouldn't be doing them, what does the law do? It condemns me. It doesn't save me. It doesn't encourage me. It just condemns me. It just discourages me. Why am I doing the things I don't want to do? Why am I feeling how I don't want to feel? I should be feeling joy. I should be feeling I'm an overcomer on this and that. Why do I not feel that way? Why, am, why do I feel like I'm failing? I'm going to pick it up in 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin that lives in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no. It's the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. 
Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that lives in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I do good, evil's right there with me. I can't walk away with it. Why? Because it's my flesh. I can't even get away from it. See where I was, sorry. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. That's the Apostle Paul. But thank goodness he doesn't stop with that pitiful cry, right, of what a wretched man I am, because what is the very next thing he says? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but the sinful nature is a slave to the law or the failure or the condemnation of sin. That is my dilemma. Ongoing. Chapter 8. Therefore, this is great news, by the way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I don't have to be governed by that failure. And it's nothing I can do. That's what got me in trouble in the first place. Because I don't have the capacity within me to do it. And even as Christians, we can fall back into these habits of thinking, we have to do it. And I truly believe that that is the journey that God has me on now. To retrain my mind and my faith to recognize it's not your ability to understand and apply my truths. It's just the fact that they're truths. And you need to rely on me for them and not your own power and abilities. Because we get that backwards sometimes. I have. For, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be my sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law would be fully met in us who live according, who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. So when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us and our acts and our feeble attempts. He looks at us through Christ through the perfection of our Savior, who took all my imperfection to the cross with Him, did away with it, and now when God looks at me, He looks at me through my Savior, my advocate. Man, that is what God, that is what God did by sending Jesus to the cross, so that God would see us through Him, and not see my failure, but see the perfection of his son. Isn't that awesome? So the sin nature that's in me has lost. It just doesn't know it. It just doesn't know it. And I have an imperfect ability to put it down all the time. And Christ knew that and knows that and forgives me.
Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile, hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body's dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of his righteousness. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. If you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if the Spirit you put to death, but through the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Not just forgiven, adopted. Man. And never, ever, ever in any way through our own ability to do it. So you know what really struck me when I read that? I thought, you know, so often, there was a lot of people I think here yesterday at Norm's service that weren't Christians. One guy even said, he goes, I'm deeply spiritual, but I'm not a Christian. And, you know, and I think without having our understand our minds renewed it says that the holy spirit renews our minds and allows us to understand truths because so often we can view the bible and maybe some of us even do as christians as restrictive it's a bunch of do's and don'ts it's all the stuff i can't do blah 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 blah, blah. what it really is, is is god's instruction manual his roadmap to say how do i live in a way that points me towards the joy and the peace and the life of god and away from the sin nature that wants to pull me down and destroy me. You know, my friend Kevin LaRoche gave one of the best examples of this duality of our, of our spirit in a talk he gave several years ago, and I've never forgotten it. And he talked about how within us, even as Christians, there's these two natures that are at war with each other, the one that wants to feed the desires of the flesh and the one that wants to please God. And he said you, to the kids, he says, picture them as two dogs that live in that same yard. And whatever dog gets fed, it's going to be the stronger dog. So which dog are we feeding? By what we see, by what we do, by what we ha who we hang around with, by where we go? Which dog is getting fed? Because that's going to be the dominant dog. That's going to be the stronger dog. And the guidelines and the restrictions that God has given us in His Word our food for that better nature. To lead us into the presence of God, to make us victorious, to overcome the thing that would pull us down and destroy us. The thing that man views as restrictive and do's and don'ts is freedom. Man, that's what I love. I mean, God just, he just ambushes you. Just when you thought it was restrictions and do's and don'ts, he goes, no. I mean, I heard uh, Tim Keller, who's one of my favorite authors, and one time he goes, 
Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. It's submitting to the right ones. I mean, a fish is swimming in a river, and he goes, I don't want to be confined by the river. I'm going out on the bank. Well, you have the freedom to do that. may not be the best decision for you. may not be the place where you're going to prosper. Submitting to those restrictions, if you even want to call it that, is where life is found. That's the roadmap to the fullness of life. You know, um, I did one of my favorite things a few weeks ago. Grace was in California visiting her family. It was the weekend. It was a Saturday before Christmas. And uh, I, I, I really believe that if you, re- like thinking of even this fresh, just thinking about Norm's, uh, Norm's service yesterday, that if you remember somebody, they're never really gone. And so I have little things that people have lost. I just lost my dad. I lost my dad. November 11th. In fact, I'll be in California. I won't see you next weekend. I'll be in California. We're going to have a memorial service for him. Um, lost my mom a couple years ago. My grandparents, you know, people that you love. And, um, but there's little things about them that I remember. And my grandmother was the one that taught me how to wrap gifts. You know, how to do the, you know, and how to fold the ends in and fold it up and how to size it just right. And I'm pretty darn good at it, aren't I, honey? I'm good. I'm a good gift wrapper. And I enjoy it. I like it. Because every time I do it, I think of my grandmother. I think of my grandma. And so I was doing my favorite things. I got all the paper out. I got the tape out and the scissors. And all the stuff was piled up that I was going to wrap. And that's what I was going to do that day. I was going to wrap gifts. So I got my phone out and put my Pandora on. And I put on, um, a, you know, a Christmas radio station. And it was all playing. And I'm doing my stuff. And it was awesome. And I'm, you know, Bing Crosby singing White Christmas and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And um, all of a sudden, the Grinch comes on my phone. (laughs) And it was cool because it wasn't the song, The Grinch, although that was on there. They read the whole book. Now, a lot of people only know The Grinch. A lot of you guys only know The Grinch from the Jim Carrey movie. But Dr. Seuss wrote the story. And uh, I remember how The Grinch stole Christmas from being a kid. It was like, man, you did not miss that at Christmas time. And it was awesome. And... um, so I sat there, you know, the, anybody know who the narrator was in the cartoon? Who was it? Boris Karloff, who like got this perfect voice for that. And so I'm wrapping my gifts, and the whole book is being read on my Pandora. And I just think it's the coolest thing. And it gets to the end, you know, and the Grinch's heart grows three sizes, and the Who's are singing, and everybody's good. And um, I remember thinking, what an awesome, awesome way to reveal the truth of something in this cute, entertaining story. I thought that was really cool. And so in that moment of time, God kind of spoke to me and said, you know, you could do that too. And I knew I was going to speak today, and I kind of knew what I wanted to talk about. And um, so I borrowed a little bit from my friend Kevin, and I wrote you guys a story. So I'm going to read it to you. Get comfortable. Come along with me, my friends, for there's a tale to tell. It's a story unfamiliar, yet I think you'll know it well. Our setting is a tree-lined street, and along this avenue, people live their daily lives, just folks like me and you. One address in particular our attention does require. So welcome to the hearth and home of Timothy McGuire. His house is freshly painted white, the trim of forest green. The lawn is mowed and neatly edged, the walks spotless and clean. 
a picket fence, a spreading elm that shade Tim's perfect hedges, and flowers for the butterflies on all the window ledges. Yes, Tim's a quiet, tidy man, hair combed, shoes shine, shirt pressed. But there's more here than meets the eye, as by now you might have guessed. So let's stroll across the lawn, past roses and lilacs, around the hedge, beyond the elm, to circle round the back. And as we step into a sunny yard, it will be worth remarking that the songs of birds and hum of bees are now replaced by barking. For it's time to meet the other players that figure in this rhyme. So without delay, I introduce Tim's dogs, Ricket and Shine. Shine is a retriever with a face that's bright and bold. From wagging tail to glistening nose, you'd swear he's made of gold. His portion of the sunny yard, neat as an Easter bonnet, contains his dish, a few dog toys, and a house with his name upon it. And every day it's Tim and Shine in games of catch and fetch, then restful walks down shady streets to give their legs a stretch. Yes, Shine is just the kind of dog that makes your heart beat faster. He always seems to focus on how he can please the master. As we leave Shine in his sunny spot and move across the yard, the shadows seem to deepen and the ground grows dry and hard. Here bushes feature snagging thorns, no flowers seem to grow. There are no neat trimmed hedges, nor is there grass to mow. Step carefully as you proceed into this thorny thicket and find the crooked peeling shed where lives the dog named Ricket. What is his breed or pedigree? No one really knows. Those crooked ears, that stumpy tail, will never see dog shows. His fur's not white, I'd call it pale, reminds one of a ghost. With scattered brown and blackened spots, he looks just like burnt toast. <laughs> His side of yard is filled with holes, with bones he gnaws and chews. There's scraps of leather that I'm sure were once Tim's best dress shoes. When Tim is asked, why keep that dog? He shrugs with a sheepish stare. I guess it's just because it seems he's always been back there. Besides, he doesn't eat too much and keeps out of the way. After all, I've got my shine when I need love or play. So every night, like clockwork, Tim feeds his hungry pets. He's always sure to measure out exactly what each gets. Shine licks Tim's hand and wags his tail as his bowl is filled with care, while Ricket plans and schemes and plots how he can increase his share. So from his shadowy hiding place, a little web he's spinning. If you could see him in the murk, you'd see that he is grinning. So as the dusk moves in tonight and attention turns to sleeping, Shine curls up warmly in his house while Ricket from the yard is creeping. Well, the sun comes up, the shadows fall, and Tim awakes and yawns. It's breakfast in the paper, then outside to cut the lawns. As he steps out of the door onto the porch and back, he stumbles and he nearly falls. Now what the heck was that? It's then he spies upon the floor a pair of argyle socks, a radio, a rolling pin, a gallon of Clorox, two snow tires and a saxophone, a length of garden hose, a fishing pole, a new iPhone. Tim's always wanted one of those. A 10-speed bike, a jello mold, a case of Mountain Dew, binoculars, a rocking chair, six games for a PS2. 
and trailing from this bounteous pile past boots and baseball mitts, a trail of paw prints in the dirt lead right where Rickett sits. You bought all this stuff up here, Tim said wide-eyed to learn it. What the heck will I do now? I suppose I should return it. But Rickett knew what was to come. He watched its slow formation, that deceiving, selfish reasoning we all know as justification. I suppose if folks had wanted this, they wouldn't just have said it, or anyone could come along like you did and just get it. And as Tim spoke, old Rickett saw his plan work to perfection, while Shine looked on in wide dismay, alarmed at this direction. So, said Tim, that settles that, and he approached the pile of plunder, holding and examining each item now with wonder. That evening it was mealtime, and Rickett laughed with mean delight when his bowl held three times the food that Shines did on that night. Next morning, as he jumped from bed, Tim raced out towards the back and wondered as he reached the door, would there be another stack? Well, sure enough, the porch was filled, just like the day before. Tim looked left and quickly right as he brought things through the door. Rickett sat out by the steps, and triumph was his mood. You can almost feel his nasty grin as Tim gave the dog more food. And so the days turned into weeks, like fruit from ripe to rotten. Rickett and his thieving ways and shine, all but forgotten. Tim's house and yard neglected, and his hedges all a tatter. While shine grew thin and wasted, old Rickett just got fatter. Until one day, a magic day, a Tuesday, I recall, there came a little miracle due to one red croquet ball. The ball was one of Ricketts' finds, the last one, I presume, and when Tim brought it to the house, there simply wasn't room. Every nook and cranny filled, each closet, shelf, and drawer, the bedroom's hallway, kitchen, den from ceiling to the floor. And as he stood agaping at the stuff there by the ton, he swallowed, blinked, and weakly said, Oh, Lord, what have I done? For as the scales fell from his eyes, his greed and pride now shrunk, and what he'd seen as treasure, he now knew was useless junk. The croquet ball slipped from his hand. It landed fairly hard. It crossed the floor, then down the steps, and rolled into the yard. "'Twas a good thing Tim's hands were free. He needed them that day. For as he stood, he wept aloud, and they wiped his tears away. And just as he thought his heart would burst, came a sound from just behind. He turned, he stopped, then forced a smile as up the steps came shine. The dog was thin and oh so weak, but giving it his all. And in his mouth, what do we see? He holds the croquet ball. He drops it at his master's feet, then sits and wags his tail, as if to say, this is love, and love will never fail. And Tim can feel the warmth within like the lifting of a fog, and with a heart now filled with joy, he kneels and hugs his dog. Well, he's weeks and weeks returning things to neighbors far and wide till every item is returned to where it should abide. On every trip to make amends, he's joined by his retriever. 
for joy should be allowed to shine. In that, Tim's a firm believer. But what of Rickett, you may ask, and all his schemes and plots? He's retreated to the furthest, darkest corner of the lot. And there he sits among the thorns and gnaws upon the urge to watch and wait and wait and watch for the chance to reemerge. And the moral of this little tale, the truth we should be heeding, be mindful as you fill the bowl which dog you may be feeding. Wow, I agree. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can we stand together? And I, I have a sense that at least 99% of us are going, that's exactly what I needed to hear. It's exactly where I'm at. In that battle between good and evil, old and new, flesh and spirit, and uh, we're just finally getting the guts to say, I give up. I want to come running back to you, Jesus, and be done with my foolish, childish ways. Because, Lord, we want that freedom. We want the joy. We want the wholeness. We want the vision of our destination to actually feel like it's getting closer again instead of further away. But Lord, it does take an acknowledgement of standing in the light. And so we want to do that with you, Father. We just want to confess our sin, our silliness, our foolish ways, Lord. And say, would you forgive us, Lord? Would you empower us, Lord God, to say no to feeding that part of our nature in the future? Jesus, help us to be set free like captives who just busted out of prison, Lord God. We, we want to run in the sunlight and the joy again of our salvation. And we want to experience the, the fullness of your promise, not just the idea, but the reality in our lives. God, we want to be free. The sons that you've set free indeed. Thank you, Father God. I think it's important for us to humble ourselves before the Lord, but not in a way that is overly exposed or humiliating. So that's why we do things like raise hands. If you've prayed a prayer similar to that and you're just wanting to say to Jesus, I'm coming back into the light. Your light. Just raise your hand and say, I, I'm confessing my sin and my, my foolish choices of the past. And as of today, I'm finished. I turn away from them and I, I choose to feed my new nature, your spirit within me. And I thank you that I am cleansed. There is no condemnation because I'm in you, Lord. I find my life in you. So, Father, begin today to get us back on track with you in Jesus' mighty name. And church said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. It's wonderful. It's astonishing what a story can do. Because of the pictures, right? It's just, I, I think in pictures and ideas. And uh, can I tell you that the greatest story ever written was the Bible? You need to read it with new eyes again and uh, recognize this is the story of God. And uh, would you make a new commitment to read his story this year? That's how you begin feeding this part of your nature that he created.
that will make you strong. Okay, let's do that. Turn to somebody and say, okay, I'll, I'm going to read the Bible more. Just turn to somebody and tell them that, all right? Okay, yeah, let's... Can, you, can I have your intention just for one more sec? I apologize, but uh, Cindy's got a word I think would be a great wrap for us. So before you head out. This is from the Message Bible. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I guess just as Dana was sharing, all of us in our walk with the Lord face that challenge. God, how do I live in the unforced rhythms of grace how do i walk in your spirit not in myself and i think that's a challenge we all face no matter how long or how short we've been with the lord and and god's call to us to all of us is come to me walk with me i'll show you how to live this life of faith and there's a surrender a humility a letting go that God calls us all to that is definitely hard for us as people because of that that nature but yet the promise is there's a freedom a lightness that joy and peace that we seek in the Lord as we do that and I just feel like God wants me to pray a blessing benediction on you if, if, Father, we come in the precious, precious name of Jesus, the name above all names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And God, in that, that humbleness today, we confess that you are Lord. God, everything that we need, you have abundantly supplied through the gift of Jesus through your spirit in us. And God, we thank you that you've invited us into this relationship with you. God, that it's not about us, but it's about your spirit at work in us. God, give us eyes to see, ears that hear that, hearts that receive it and believe it and live in it. God, I ask as we go into this new year, God, as each one of our hearts are open before you, God, that our deepest cry would be for more of you. Not more activity, not more religion, not more practices, not more of anything but you. And God, we know that your call to us is to know your love, to walk in that Abba relationship, and then to allow you to flow out of us in love to others. God, that's our heart's cry. God, that's where we lay our lives today. We thank you for the promise that it is the zeal of the Lord that will accomplish it. That it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. 
So we say thank you, Father. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, we open our hearts and our minds and our lives wide to receive all the riches that are our inheritance in you. We bless you, Lord. We honor you. We lift you high. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we say thanks once more to Dana and to his God, our God? Good job. All right. God bless you. Happy New Year. See you next Sunday. Wow, that was an encouraging message. Please consider this open invitation to come and join us in worship and praise. The Lord's will is made clear in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Oh, and here's a final message from Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.